Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me here in my uh, Nashville, East Nashville Airbnb living room is uh, it's my good buddy JR Lynn. JR, what's going on, man? Hello. I, I don't get to this side of the river very much, so this is <laughs> as much of a trip for me as it is for you. Uh, well, we can we can go through it together. Um, we are uh, it's, it's pretty intimate. We uh, we're sharing one mic right now, which isn't something I generally do. So <laughs> hopefully the the audio quality is passable but yeah it's very it's very 1950s in here yeah like we should have like a live band or something i don't know yeah uh so we're gonna talk about the predators um which makes sense it seems on brand sure yeah, it's perfect and, and yeah. you and you, you you follow them pretty closely um i don't know do you, do you write about them pretty frequently these days uh, not so much anymore but uh when i can yeah i just don't do a lot of sports these days but i I write a lot of tweets about them. Right, yeah, <laughs> two and a half you, you, hours every other day. So. You, you craft, you craft some well, well thought out tweets. I know that for sure. Um, it's an interesting team because I feel like heading into the season, um, there were so the expectations were so high, especially after the PK Subban trade. I mean, people like myself were saying that they were probably going to be like the funnest team in the league to watch, and and uh, they they were like the trendy sort. It was like them versus Tampa Bay was like the trendy yeah. Stanley Cup final pick, and it's like. Maybe I mean both teams are very good and it very well could happen, but it definitely at the time seemed like it could be like a little bit of like wishful thinking where it's like we want this to happen just because these two teams are probably going to play exciting hockey and it's going to sort of prove that you don't need to you know play this old school physical bump and grind style to uh, to make it work in the NHL these days. So yeah, and I felt sort of uh, like the expectations were higher outside of Nashville maybe than they were inside yeah. of Nashville, and I I don't know if that's because of years of first round exits or <laughs> years of watching the Titans go three and 13 was kind of put a damper on our attitude. But, uh, I was actually out of the country for the slow start. They started winning when I got back, which was fantastic for me. But right. I, judging by what I was hearing and seeing from that start, there was, you know, I think they were three, five and two in their first 10 or something, but, uh, it may have been a lot of, of problems with maybe rhythm. Yeah. Um, because there was a, you know, Yossi was uh, played for Team Europe, and right. I think they did a lot better in the World Cup than people expected. <laughs> yes. So he was at a training camp for a lot longer, and you know that's a guy who played with Shea Weber for you know the better part of three or four seasons. Uh, 
and there was, you know, and also there was an adjustment last year after Seth Jones was traded yep. with those pairings, and when Ekholm got back from the World Cup, especially Subban and Ekholm played together, and yep. and PK seemed to really like playing with him. Yep. So then it was okay. Well, a lot of people thought Ekholm was going to play with Yossi, and or maybe Subban was going to play with Yossi, and then Yossi was playing with Ellis, and then Ellis has been hurt two or three times, so. You know, I think there was maybe a learning curve, particularly on defense. You know, the new, the third pair of Matt Irwin and, and Yannick Weber was completely new. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I know you're a charter member of the Matt Irwin. Matt Irwin, <laughs> yeah, Matt Irwin was the only one who played any good there yes. for a while. Um, Matt Irwin played on the first pair yeah. with Roman Yossi. He was like, hop on my back, boys. I got us. Yeah, I got us. Matt, Matt Irwin's <laughs> going to carry you through. But, uh, you know, and the, there were some changes in the forward lines because they completely revamped the fourth line from, from sort of, was Paul Gostad's homeland for many, many years. Yes. And, you know, and then they had to do some other things, and Colton Sissons got hurt. And uh, and I think in November, uh, obviously they were great. They were, I think, the best team in the league in November. Yeah, and they were scoring a ton of goals like we expected yeah. them to. Yeah, and, uh, you know, 2010 Pekka Rene showed up, and yeah. that was fantastic. And it's been a little slow here uh, to start December. So I, I maybe the jury's still out. I, I think they're... It's still a good team. Yes. You know, these guys, Philip Forsberg is not going to score a goal a month for the rest of the year. I right. Think. On the other hand, he, I think, is second in the team at points. So, right. you know, it, it, and part of that is maybe because Victor Arvidsson has decided he's going to be uh, an all-star this year, I guess. Yeah. More goals than Patrick Kane. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the expectations were high, and I think they should have been. And, uh I think they lived up to them in November, but right, you know. we, we kind of saw what they're capable of <laughs> yeah. when everything's when everything's coming. I, it's it's interesting you bring up the uh, the Ekholm Subban pairing because I remember as soon as the trade uh, happened in the summer, I was just like, I let my I, I let my my <laughs> mind run wild a little bit, just like, oh my god, Yossi and Subban, like what what could they be capable of? But I do think that we saw a little bit of it early on, but it, it probably does make sense to split them apart and have Subban or Yossi play with a guy like Ekholm just because he is sort of like. I feel like Ekholm is like your quote unquote stay at home yeah, defenseman and, and in T.S. 2016, right? Your, right. Stay-at-home no, but that's that, that's yeah. like that, that's the type of player, right? Right. Rather than being this guy who like can't skate and just like sits in front of his net and blocks a lot of shots, like and, th- and that's what people sort of think that a stay at home yeah. defenseman is. Yeah, that's like not in 2016. That's not that's yeah. just not a good player. That's not that's not that's not anything. So Matthias Ekholm is like much more. I feel like a little bit a bit more conservative. Like he like doesn't try to like, you know do anything too crazy. He's cool with kind of sitting back and and playing playing good D and, and it allows a guy like Subban to sort of go on his rushes and, and stuff like that and I feel like that's a pairing that makes a lot of sense. And Yeah and that's what Subban was saying towards the end of the preseason when when LaViolette started to really settle that lineup up was that he Subban said something like he feels good about knowing that Ekholm is behind him and what's bizarre I think that sort of struck people in Nashville and, and this is telling sort of how hockey has changed so much so quickly I think is that uh, Ekholm last year even was on that pairing with Ryan Ellis, and yeah. that was that was like the you know the energy like high offense pairing, yeah. you know, uh, because Ekholm will you know he'll drop down in the slot and he you know he scored three or four game winning goals last year where you're going where are you going yeah. man <laughs> you know especially since you're beside Ryan Ellis who can who you sort of expect that from yeah but, uh, you know Ekholm's a big tough guy and but he. You know, he also is willing to sort of join the play when he's got to. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I think the the pairings are interesting. It certainly, I would assume, presents some matchup problems for yeah. opposing coaches when your choice is. Do I want to face Roman Yossi or do I want to face <laughs> yeah. PK Subban? Ekholm is such a fascinating player to me because I feel like, especially last year after the after the Seth Jones trade, people sort of started talking about him and it became one of those things where it's like everyone was saying how Matthias Ekholm is so underrated and it's like the whole like Louis Erickson thing. Right. It's like, well, if everyone's <laughs> saying he's well, underrated, maybe he's yeah. properly or a little overrated because everyone is like on the bandwagon. Yeah. But like uh, I know for myself, I... I, I attract a lot of games especially for defensemen in terms of zone exits and just seeing sort of um tendencies and systems and stuff like that and Ekholm's always such a irritating player to me just because he shows these flashes like you just mentioned of like brilliance <laughs> yeah. and you're just like wait what like where did that come from was that Roman Yo- no that was Matthias Ekholm oh. and then he has like these stretches where he's just perfectly cool just sort of like dumping it out off the boards and just like being that sort of stay at home defenseman yeah. and and I, I don't know maybe it's it's something where he still is kind of rounding into form and, and, and you know bursting onto the scene in terms of being a high impact player so maybe it's one of those things that's going to take some time or or maybe you're just expecting too much like not every guy can just sort of be playing at like 110% in terms well, of just pushing the pace all the time right? you know as a, as a guy you know who's up in Vancouver and when when Dan Dan Hamhuis left here yeah. and people in Nashville just dumped on Hamhuis and, and the same thing happened with Kevin Klein for a large part of his time here is that when you're a team like Nashville where, you know, Shea Weber and Ryan Suter or Shea Weber and Roman Yossi are your first two defensemen. Yeah. Well, there's naturally going to be a big drop-off to three, right? Yeah. So, no, Kevin Klein and, and Dan Hammers were not 2008 to 2011 Shea Weber, Ryan Suter. Yeah. You know, and, and who was? Uh, but by playing those guys sort of in the middle of the pack, you – allow them to develop and I I think we saw that a lot with Klein who turned into a real contributor and maybe the worst trade in Nashville Predators history yeah uh the return was Michael Delzato. Which is really funny because Michael Delzato is now a really good player in Philly again like I don't just I don't know what happened there (laughs) we try not to think too much about that trade yeah you know and then Klein left and then your your third defenseman is Seth Jones who really should be a first pair defenseman and probably would have been right I guess not, maybe, because Subban would have been here. But, uh, you know, we've really been blessed with really good defensemen in Nashville, and I think sort of people are maybe harder or forget the back half of those defense pairings in Nashville because the top half has been so good for so long. And yeah. you can go back to, like, Kimo Tiemann and guys like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're definitely not, uh, not, not short on defensemen. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, Nashville's an interesting team just because they have all these guys where um, – I just like I feel like I'm higher on them than the general public is. I'm sure like they're appreciated in Nashville sure. in terms of <laughs> Predators fans that watch them on a consistent basis. But like I feel like the casual fan in New York or whatever like doesn't really know who Kevin Fiala, for example, is. <laughs> like maybe if they're like a draft knot, they remember that he was a yeah. first round pick and you know he's on their radar. But like sometimes I watch him play and just like I, I don't know. Like I feel like sometimes his 
maybe he's like needs to tone it down a little bit in terms of his speed. Like it looks like <laughs> it looks like he's like trying to so do stuff on his stick behind him. Yeah, he's it, going too fast. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like uh, you know he's like learning how to like I just like he's like learning how to use all of those different individual skills he has, and once he puts it all together into like a cohesive unit, it's gonna be scary good. But like right now, you see the flashes where he just like he's so fast and he has the skills with the puck on his stick, but then like sometimes he just overskates the puck for some reason or, or I don't and, know. And you were in the Colorado game, <laughs> yeah, which I think was probably the best game he's played in Nashville. Yep. Uh, what surprises me about Fiala so much is that he plays a lot bigger than he is mm-hmm. uh, because he's not. I mean, it wouldn't be hard because yep. he's the size of a number two pencil. But um, the the sort of power that he – or he'll stand up to guys sometimes. I mean, not in open ice, but yep. <laughs> when he's kind of down low, he'll, he'll muscle around a little bit, which uh, is nice to see. But – you know, he's also like what nineteen or twenty years old. I mean, yeah, it's gonna take some time. And and for once, Nashville has a skilled young forward they can afford to be patient with, right? Uh, because if you know, if Fiala had been here six or seven years ago, he would have been on the first line right away. Right, but he didn't have a choice. And it, you know, now with with guys like Forsberg and Johansson, and uh, you know, even Craig Smith to a degree, depending on again. If it's a two-week period where Craig right. Smith scores yeah, which 15 not, goals or like a two-week period where <laughs> he's on the team, uh, Fiala can they can protect him a little more, they can shelter him, and they can bring him along a little more slowly. I think Victor Arvidsson has helped with that a lot because I think Victor Arvidsson plays a lot like Kevin what they would expect Kevin Fiala to turn mm-hmm. into. So if they need a Fiala type higher up in the uh, in the rotation, they can use Arvidsson, which I've been high on Victor Robertson for a while, but he's really yeah. Yeah, he's, so he's blossoming this year for yeah. sure. Well, so this is a question that you might be able to answer better than I am. But like, what's your what's your feel on is is it all David Poyle or is it like it seems like very very kind of convenient that pretty much as soon as Barry Trotz leaves town, all of a sudden this team like right. becomes more <laughs> more offensively minded. But it's also like now they it makes sense because they have sort of the, the tools to play that type of game. Like we're seeing in their system now with guys like Fiala and Arvidsson and, and you go on the online, they have legitimate forward prospects now. And like Philip Forsberg blossoms into the star and, and all these guys. And it's like, you look at the list of high end forwards this franchise has had over the years and it's, it's, it's pretty short. So, well, it's certainly, you know, uh, it's certainly better now than ever. Except yeah. maybe for the period when Korea was here. Um, but you know, I think um, I think we should give David Poyle some credit. I think he knew, and honestly, looking back, I think we all knew that Trotz's last year was going to be Trotz's last year, yeah. unless they made the playoffs. Which you know, I think they won like twelve of their last fifteen, and they almost mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. it sort of scared us a little bit. But uh, you know, I I think a lot of that was well. He knew it was going to be Laviolette, and I think everybody sort of knew it was going uh-huh. to be Laviolette coming yeah. in here um, because of, of the U.S. hockey relationship. And, you know, a lot of times when you when you let one coach go, you go the complete opposite direction. And, right. And obviously that's what they did. Uh, so Poyle started to build that team a little bit uh, more to what, to what Laviolette would want to do. And another thing about... Uh, What's happened here that I think David Boyle should get a lot of credit for is that he's completely changed what he thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, now, part of that is 
frankly, like the franchise is stable financially. Yep. Uh, we don't talk about you know the the joke used to be that Nashville fans could calculate where they where the average attendance was versus the twelve or fourteen thousand that they needed from the lease. You know, and we could do it in our head when they announced the attendance at every game. But you know, I don't. I mean, they're going to sell out forty one games this year. I don't. Yep. I don't think about that anymore at all. And it used to be sort of all consuming, but. So with that, he's been able to do things like, you know, make these player for player trades, which is not just a change for him; is it? Is really like a change for yep. for hockey? Yep. I mean, you know, Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson was a huge trade, and then obviously PK Subban for Shea Weber was a huge trade. Uh, you know, and, and he's done some some things with deadline deals that have worked out. I I mean, I. Yes, Forsberg for Erat and Lada was yeah. maybe the best example. But of I mean, that. even the Leguan trade, for right? Example, Leguan, was, yeah. David Leguan, who was a guy who was been here a long time but wasn't going to come back. Yeah, uh, you know, and and you you trade for Cali Arncroft and and Patrick Eves, weirdly yeah. enough, who then went to Dallas and yeah. is now really good for something. The jet, the crown jewel of that yeah. trade. <laughs> it's like, uh, but you know, Cali Arncroft. Kelly Yarncroft. Yeah, just call him Kelly uh, Ironhook. Yeah, That's my favorite real. translation. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a guy who, who since he's been here, has played really all twelve places in the forward role, right? And uh, which is going to make him pretty attractive, I think, for Las Vegas next summer. Yeah. But, um, uh, so that you know, the, those kind of things pay off, and it's not just sort of stockpiling draft picks and and that sort of thing. And they've been smart in the draft. Um, Fial is a great example of Seth Jones. I, you know, I don't know that they had much of a choice there with right. Seth Jones. And people in Nashville sort of groaned when they took Seth Jones originally yeah. because, oh, you know, finally have a top five draft pick in Nashville and he takes another defenseman. Yeah. But uh, in hindsight, you know, I, you know, who came who came behind him then would have been four, would have been. Uh, that was a really good. Off, yeah, so, that was but, that was that was that was, a, that was a really good draft. That was like the uh, yeah, that was the McKinnon, Druin, Barkov, Chess Jones, Elias Lindholm, go on down the list. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good draft. But no, I mean, I think the Seth Jones pick was sort of like at that point of the draft was kind of obvious yeah. for them, and, and, and it worked out. And it's a good reminder that you know draft picks are just assets, and you, right. you, you, you don't and, necessarily right. need to. Yeah. You finally got a number one yes. center, which you never had except. Well, I, I mean, really, career maybe Jason Arnett early on. Yeah. Uh, and, and even if you go deeper, like he, you know, people said, well, Nashville will never take another Russian again mm-hmm. uh, after Radulov. I roll my eyes at that one too. Yeah. But you know, they took a kid, Valer Kamenev. Vlad Kamenev, yeah, he's amazing. Who is yeah. a big, big body, and I really thought was going to stick uh, this year. And they may, you know, depending on what it looks like, they're going to have to do. Uh, with the expansion draft, if it looks like it's going to be Arncroft, you may bring Kamenev up and give him some more time mm-hmm. because he is a big kind of two-way center. Yep. Uh, and it was really, really impressive in the preseason. Still a very young guy. But uh, so his change in thinking, I you know, I, I wish I could ask him what it was, if it was <laughs> because he changed coaches or if it was, you know, he put together the Olympic team and, sort of the way you put Nashville together and it ended up being terrible or, you know, if whatever clicked with him or he just got people around him sort of yep. talking him into a different way of thinking or maybe he just evolved on his own. I don't know. But um, he's certainly been more willing to take risks, I think, than in the past. And and maybe you go back to Suter uh, where 
he was he did sort of the safe thing and kept him instead of trading him at mm-hmm. the deadline that year. But uh, you know, I don't know. I I think it's certainly encouraging and you know it's interesting to me. We've been talking for maybe a half an hour and we haven't mentioned Pecorine at all. And <laughs> yeah. uh, he was you know he was the first star of the month in November and rightly so. Yep. And in November he looked like 2010 2011. Pecorine. Yeah. Uh, the last couple of games, he he has not looked great. Mm. He, but I mean, he got pulled last night in Dallas. Uh, we're talking on Friday here. Yep. Uh, although I don't know how much of that had anything to do with him. They right. were just not putting bodies on Dallas, and Dallas looked really, really desperate for a win. Um, well, I mean, especially early in the year, like when we were talking about how things weren't gelling yet. Like he was definitely their best player in terms of yeah. just holding the forward and, and kind of keeping them afloat there. So I think that, you know, I definitely, like, people like myself got a bit carried away last year just because of his his down season. And, and I think there was a little bit of a pushback to, you know, the, the whole all-star thing and, and, and oh, stuff yeah, like but, that. And you know, Oh, yes, he was an all-star. The game was also a national. I, I know, I mean, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. And John Scott was also yeah, right. All-star. John Scott was all-star, too. And, and, How uh, dare you disparage yeah. the, the, the sanctity like, of the All-Star you know, like the game. The sanctity of the All-Star game with Pecorino. I mean, John Scott is here. Yeah. But, no, it's uh, – it's, it's, it, 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 the, the David Poyle thing really is interesting to me because often, you know, these sort of hockey lifers, that he's been around for so long that some guys just aren't willing to adapt or change their philosophy or change the way they, they do their job. It's, you know, it's gotten them to this point why they obviously think that, you know, they figured, they figured out the, the secret, you know, like the, just the, the, what they need to do to build a successful hockey team. And he has had success in the past, but it's, I think it's a testament to him that they've gone about it a completely different way. And it's also now looks like it's going to be another successful team and I guess some of it is probably just like a lot of guys in this league don't have the luxury of that sort of like a, a leash right like it's like yeah and he's got a pretty long leash obviously at this point I think you know you say he's barring just something catastrophic I think he's probably the GM in Nashville until he doesn't want to be pretty much sure. and and it may even be a situation where he takes some sort of like president of hockey operations role even when he wants to step back um Something we haven't sort of talked about here, though, is is he did not go to the Olympics mm-hmm. the year he was the GM of Team USA. He didn't travel because in Minnesota he got right. hit in the face with a shake yes. slap shot, and um, and I don't know if the disappointment of that or if you know maybe it like clicked for him that yeah. he's not going to be able to do this forever. I you know I'm not going to psychoanalyze the guy, but. There was certainly a change after that season to the way that he approached building his team, uh, and it could be due to any number of factors. But it, it really is something interesting because the staff around him hasn't really changed mm-hmm. either. It's still, you know, it's still Paul Fenton is still in charge of the draft here, and, and David Son Brian still involved in sort of the same staff. I mean, the scouts are more or less the same guys they've always been. Right. Um, are. God bless him, our Northern European scout who keeps finding Patrick Hornquist and Pecorine <laughs> and playing in like a cave in Finland or wherever they find yeah. them. But uh, yeah, so I mean, all credit to him, and, and you know he's getting older, and I think that could be part of it too. Like I've got a, I've, I've never won a title of any sort of description, so yeah, not here, not in Washington, and and not not even as an Atlanta Flame. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I think that they've done an awesome job assembling. You mentioned the, the draft and who's responsible. I think that 
we should give some love there because uh, it, it has been a team that, other than the Seth Jones year, hasn't really you know <laughs> been, been bottoming out every season and been you know accumulating all these top five draft picks, and they've had to find a way to get these guys in the second, third, fourth round, wherever wherever they've come well, from. Or rounds that don't even exist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, the, in the ninth round or something, we don't yeah. have that anymore. But. And I, I do think a big key to the success is, like, they've shown that they're perfectly cool with taking these undersized guys that other teams aren't, like, tr- falling over themselves to grab, whether it's a guy like Victor Arvidsson who, like, I, I, was it either once or maybe twice just went completely undrafted yeah. and for whatever reason. And, like, people forget. I mean, it's now, it's like, he, I'm not necessarily surprised he's, blossoming right now because like he's pretty much in his prime so it's 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 but like guys like that where it's like i mean just in 2015 i'm looking right now like they took a guy like anthony richard from the q, q, q from the q where in the fourth round and he's like an undersized guy who was just like putting up like two points a game or something right. like that ridiculous <laughs> right and it's like why not in the fourth round like yeah, it's really, nothing it's to lose like, pick, yeah. and if he if he turns into being a skilled top six guy like you've all of a sudden just like right. won, won that draft so yeah the, Arkansas such an interesting case because he, like you said, I mean, he was passed over a couple of times and and really his first couple of stints in Nashville was very much <laughs> the, the human forecheck. You know, he could come out and he will skate very fast in one direction and and he still does that. He still skates very fast in one direction, but now he's also decided he will shoot from everywhere. Yes. Um, and, you know, if it doesn't go in, it's... I mean, you know, he'll take blind slap shots from, like, no man's land and, yeah. you know, try to shoot it from behind the goal line. You're like, what are you doing? But it, if put, it bounces put the around, on that, man. around <laughs> something happens. So uh, it, it just astounds me that it's falling for him this year. And, you know, I mean, last year he was still shooting it. You have eight or nine shots a game. You know, yep. <laughs> you're crazy. It's, that's Patrick Hornquist kind of stuff without doing what Patrick Hornquist did here for so long. Right. Standing in front of the net and kind of just slapping at every rebound. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's he's an interesting guy who's probably playing above his head a little, but that's good because uh, kind of in the injury part of the season here, uh, maybe more so than I think people expected or or wanted. You're missing a guy like Mika Salamaki, who was supposed to be sort of your fourth-line guy. Mm-hmm. Um, played really well in the playoffs last year. Colton Sissons, you're kind of, your new Paul Gostad, except a guy who can score, uh, has been out for a while. Ellis, you know, they don't even give us updates on him. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. a little nerve-wracking. But, uh, you know, essentially signed Adam Party off the street to play. Um, yeah. Well, I'm sure he'll still be better than Matt Carl was early in the year, so. Did he retired, right? He did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I don't even want to necessarily like, make fun of him just because it's, it's, it's sad that his career is over. But Well, and that's, you, you talk about Matt Carl and, and you know, a guy like Mike Ribeiro or, you know, party may or may not be like this, but that's another thing that Poyle's done is he's been willing to sign these sort of reclamation projects mm-hmm. to these one-year, $1.1 million deals. Right. We sort of joked about it for a while. but And it's like, okay, like, I mean, I think Cody Hodgson was a guy that was like that, and, uh, you know, there have been four or five others, and you're like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, who cares? Yeah. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean... wave them. Who cares? It's like one out of every five yeah. works out. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a positive thing. And, and uh, I guess it's pretty topical because on the day we're recording this right now, uh, Cal Clutterbuck got... Yeah a five-year deal for $3.5 million per. And, and <clears throat> that's the whole argument against moves like that because 
like while I'm sure people in the room love Cal Clutterbuck and he does all these little things which you know add up over time like like you can make all these uh, random intangible uh, comments about stuff he brings to the table but like when you sign deals like that it sort of ties your hands from taking these like right. <laughs> like lottery tickets right because like all of a sudden you've locked down your fourth line when you're paying him and Casey Sezikis like seven million dollars combined and it's like well you can't go for these kind of high upside guys for uh, on well, the like, minimum yeah, the right it's just the Reed Boucher off waivers yeah and I think he's played one game but yeah. it's like why not who cares if you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you pay him for three weeks and if it works out it works out if it yeah. doesn't you wave him too I, mean, yeah, I don't think I don't think Reed Boucher is going to sink the entire operation yeah, if he doesn't uh, work out I mean, it's certainly not going to you're not taking a three and a half million dollar you know salary cap hit because of him yeah you know Cal Clarkley I, I tweeted this at you right before I left my house but he's making half a million dollars less against the cap than Roman Yossi yes. I mean that's absurd yeah and uh, that's absurd sort of in both ways that yep. Roman Yossi only makes four million against the cap and but makes three and a half. But uh, yeah, you've got to be smarter, I think, and that's why I'm so encouraged. Sort of the Nashville's fourth line is finally, you know, guys in their a lot of times still on their ELC or if not in their first real contract, yep. and not Paul Gostad or Eric Nystrom, who were both fine for what they did. Eric Nystrom, of course, holds the Nashville record for goals in a game. Yep, um, <clears throat> scoring four goals and gets Calgary in a game they lost, and maybe the most Nashville Predators thing that's ever happened. Uh, but, but you just necessarily have to pay those guys more than you have to pay a twenty-one-year-old, right? Um, and if you're only playing them four or five minutes a night, then what's the point of that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and one thing you definitely can't say about the Predators is they have four lines that can all play and yeah that's in today's nhl that's a must like if you have any weak spots like that if you have like a couple guys in your fourth line that can't skate and can't really contribute anything like the, uh, the good teams in the league will find a way to expose that in the in the four to six minutes they get <laughs> right it's like it's just gonna find a way to work itself out um let's talk a little bit about the central division because uh i think it's a it's fascinating how like jam-packed it is in the middle and then obviously like the abs i think we can sort of disqualify yeah. them from the playoff conversation and then the Blackhawks are running away with it a little bit, but I think anyone that sort of looks at underlying numbers realizes that, you know, they're I don't I don't want to say they're fraudulent, but they're definitely riding a, a, a fortunate wave right yeah. now of bounces. And I think that I don't think that they're as good as their record indicates. So I think it's like I don't think for a team like the Preds, it's like, oh well, we have no chance of catching the Blackhawks. Right. And there have been times in the Predators history where you, you go on a little run there in November and December and you're like, Oh, and then you look up and you know, in the past, it was Detroit's, you know, 17 points clear <laughs> somehow, uh, or Chicago. I I think the Central is down from last year, and I, I don't really know why that is. Uh, I think the Western Conference as a whole, like, it, it's pretty clear that the Metro division is, like, the power broker in the league right now. Which is bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I, and I think part of it with the Central may be <laughs> victims of their own success. People in Dallas talk about this, that that their slow start was because they had so many guys in the World Cup and it very well could have been. Mm-hmm. But, but the Central as a whole really had, a, because there was so much talent, missed a lot of guys yep. uh, who came in late to training camp or maybe were banged up a little earlier than you expected. So, and, you know, with uh, the 26th best goalie in league history, uh, Corey Crawford out for a couple of weeks with appendicitis, yep. you know, it's, it's, I mean, Scott Darling gives us nightmares in Nashville, but... Right. Is he going to give the league nightmares for a couple of weeks? Yeah. Well, very, very, very well could. I mean, and, and it's, it, it is interesting because they do have, like, the high-end talent, just, like, guys like 
Kane and Panarin are like it's very conceivable like they could be like getting outshot all game and outplayed right. and then all of a sudden they just like have two shifts where they just like bang, bang, yeah. quickly score goals and it's like well we played a good 58 minutes and <laughs> yeah. uh, that's all for naught so it's I still think that you know the central division is like open there for the taking though like I, like I think the Blues are, are once again going to be very formidable they're also one of those teams that don't really have very many weaknesses up and down the lineup right. and can just like grind it out and Minnesota sort of the same way and Winnipeg's getting the goaltending like they'll yeah, their, their skaters are very good. So I just Winnipeg is a. This is probably true for everybody in the West, but you, you feel like you don't see them for a long time, and I understand why that is because of the way of where Winnipeg is. Sort of their schedule is bizarre. They go on these like thirteen game road trips, and then they are home for like six weeks, and then they're you know. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of poking through their schedule last night. You know, they won back to back against Chicago and St. Louis this weekend on Saturday and Sunday, yep. which is or Friday and whatever it was, but it's. Uh, you know that's that's tough to do for any team, and for a team like Winnipeg, where you go, this is not a team that's supposed to be very good. Right. Uh, obviously, uh, you know their goaltending situation improved pretty dramatically yeah. when yeah, they it's, finally it's... realized that Pavlich wasn't the answer. But uh, you know, I think Dallas, as they get healthier, yeah. Dallas looked real good last night. Had, yeah, I'm scared. That Dallas that first is... line is, I mean, you know, Absurd. you're going Ben Spezza and Sagan across. <laughs> Across your first line, yeah. I mean, okay, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty messed up. You just have to tolerate that, I think, for a while. But that's the, that's the thing. I mean, Dallas right now is is at Dallas and Nashville are tied for fifth and sixth in the, in the Central Division, right? And it's like, yeah. And you look, then you look down in the Pacific Division. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it yeah. Seems like there's a definitely like a still an imbalance in power in the yeah, Western I, Conference. I, I mean, the, yeah, the, the Pacific is bad. The, the three Canadian teams, I assume, are in the basement there. Well, actually, Edmonton and Calgary are one two right now, which is oh, mind oh okay, blowing. see, yeah. that, that tells you how much I follow the Pacific Division. Yes, uh, yeah, no, that is bizarre. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, and, and you've got to get the top five. You can't just take seven teams from the Central and and the champ from the West or from the Pacific. Although that would be why can't we though? Who's who's, the, who's to say we yeah. can't? Why Edmonton versus the Central Division? But. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it, the like you said, St. Louis is the St. Louis team they've always been, and um, I think Chicago is probably going to be Chicago E as long as I don't you know how long Taze is going to be out, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And when you look at you know Nashville, is sort of like glum because of of the injury thing, but compared to the teams you expect to compete against, it's not been that bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know that you want to go with uh, random like fourth defenseman instead of Ryan Ellis for a real long time. Right. But, I mean, and, and the other thing is, you know, you you could play Irwin there uh, with. I mean, they played him with Yossi for a while, mm-hmm. uh, but the problem is like who's going to play with Yannick Weber? And you figure Anthony Boteto, who is just fine in that role, yeah. uh, and of course he gets hurt for a time, so it's Adam Party or it's you know somebody from Milwaukee that I've never heard of and uh, you don't want that to be a, a problem for a long time because you take a lot of things away when you take Ellis out of the question and that and it's not just what he brings it's sort of the way that you build your team mm-hmm. uh, and especially at a time where you said okay it's all finally coming together now that all of these guys are working together everybody's skating where they should be yeah. you know Mike Fisher finally gets to be a third-line center for the first time in his career, which is what he should have been his entire career. Right. Uh, 
and then you know now he's got to play in the second line or now yeah. you know yeah that's what with, with injuries it's, it sort of bumps everyone up into a spot yeah. they probably shouldn't be well playing. I mean and that was the great thing last year when they traded was it last year they traded for Johansson I guess it was when they traded yeah for it seems like it's been I know right it's been here forever <laughs> yeah. uh, is that is that Fisher got to the question wasn't whether Ribeiro or Mike Fisher was going to be the first line center anymore. Neither one of those guys has any business being a first line center at this point in their career. Uh, you know, you could play Ribeiro on the second line with sort of protected minutes, and you can let Mike Fisher do what he does. But that really showed after Johansson got there, and you put those guys in that role. You know, Mike Fisher was incredible in the playoffs, yep. uh, and a lot of that I think was a testament to he finally. I mean, probably really for the first time ever got to be the center of a line that he belonged on and right. being forced to play up a little bit. Everything so. made sense, yeah. Um, all right, one final thing before we get out of here. Um, we should talk a little bit, a bit about P.K. Subban. Because, okay, um, yeah, sure. We touched on that a little bit. We did, yes. But I, I just, like, I'm curious, uh, as, as a local, just, like, how, how have the first uh, couple months of the P.K. Subban experience <laughs> been? Because... As someone, you know, viewing it from the outside, it's been a blast. Like, sure, I, uh, yeah. Uh, watching him just go to the Titans game, taking yeah, his shirt off. Like, taking his shirt off. Like, just, like, I, I just, I, it blows my mind that people get on his case for the fact that he's young and having fun. Like, it looks amazing. Like, I wish I was having yeah. as much fun <laughs> in life as, as he is, so. But when he did, I don't know why you would do that at a Alouettes, or the, do they still exist? I don't know. Uh, yeah, they do. Okay, so they do, yeah. he, he wouldn't do that in Alouette's case. Yeah. I don't know that it would get the well, attention. If anyone would, though, it probably wouldn't would be. Probably <laughs> would uh, so I try to think of like what the analog to that would have been in Montreal, and I don't know that there is one an impact game. I don't know. But he, people here just thought that was like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Like, that was amazing yeah. that he did that. And, you know, his first 72 hours here, he was seeing Johnny Cash at Tootsies, and then he... Like and that was sort of like an organized team thing. Tootsie's is across the street from the arena. It was pretty easy to, yeah. That. But you know, then like later there was the cell phone video where he just like came to Tootsie's and sang "Juicy" by Notorious B.I.G. <laughs> um, but you know, people here I think love him, and I think a lot of that is this is a a town that necessarily is used to people being stars. I mean, it's what, you know, Nashville manufactures stars. It's called the country music industry for a reason. Yeah. Right? We, we, these people are packaged and created and they come out and we expect them to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if that's outspoken or brash and it's just something we tolerate. Yeah. But, uh, it's also a situation where people, you know, if I see Garth Brooks at Kroger, they don't, you know, we, we don't bother because mm-hmm. th- these people are our neighbors. This is, they all live around here so we want people to be sort of outgoing and, yep. and bubbly and different and you know this is a town that likes fun things that that also sort of as a, in a hockey culture has become a lot less self-conscious and defensive about it mm-hmm. and we've been in the league long enough now that you know we don't feel like we've got to do things that if you'll forgive me and your listeners will forgive me that will that will placate Canadians mm-hmm. that we, we don't worry about what will, you know, what will, uh, not Bob McKenzie cause he loves it here, but you know, <laughs> uh, well, some right. old stodgy Canadian. Yeah. You got to think of us if we do this or that, or yeah, we, yeah. We, we, it doesn't matter. this is yeah. what we, we have created. The culture exists now. So it, it, PK, PK Subban is a perfect part of 
sort of what going to a hockey game in Nashville is like, which is, you know, it's loud all the time and they're screaming and, you yeah. know, and it's pretty much just like a big party and we like people to get excited. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and and I, I can't think of like in the history of the Nashville Predators, I can't think of too many like big personalities no, that have been on this team, right? It's uh, like, you know, it's a lot of sort of stereotypical Scandinavians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ice cold yeah. Scandinavian predator, and, and you know the biggest star here was was Shea Weber, who you know was great and was great in the city and did lots of good things, but is right. not. You know, that's not he's not PK Super. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's a much different sort of of star than that, and and like you said, we've just never had that guy. We haven't, to a large degree, even had that guy. Uh, with the Titans, um, so to have a guy who well, maybe the, of, the Titans now have PK Subban as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, uh, sure. What a, well, and, and it works both ways because Titans players now come to Predators. Games. Yeah, Delaney Walker is a big Predators fan. Uh, Avery Williamson, who <laughs> is you know just sort of a normal kind of middle linebacker is nobody special, but really got into the Preds during uh, the playoffs last year, and they would like. I mean, he was sitting in, like, the 200s. It wasn't like he got, um, oh, we get my tickets, you know, free and sit down on the front row. Like, he was just up in some random seats, and he, and they, you know, stand in the crowd during the game, and there's Avery Williamson, and he became sort of, like, the mascot yeah. for the Predators' playoff run, which was going crazy. So, uh, to see that is very interesting, because for a long time, the only guys from that culture, from the, the Titans culture, would be the punters and kickers who were from, <laughs> you know, Minnesota or whatever. Yeah. But... Now it's you know just, just everything. Yeah, mountains of Titans fans. So, uh, yeah, it, he, I think it sort of changed the way we no. <laughs> we see. I mean, this is what hockey in Nashville should be like to me. Is someone who is excited and happy and and a big sort of personality that in you know is on the ice. What it is like to be in Bridgestone Arena, particularly. For a game against uh, against Chicago or, or in the playoffs where it's so loud and it's just yep. you know you're dying at the end of it, especially if it goes to three overtimes and two thirty <laughs> in the morning. Um, I, and you know, I think Johansson's that way in a different way. Mm-hmm. He's sort of quirky, right? Uh, he's a weird guy. Yeah, he's kind of a strange dude. Yeah. You know, he kisses a stick, and it's uh. And I feel like most hockey players are pretty yeah, weird dudes, though. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, but he, he has like this weird sort of. Uh, uh, Twitter relationship with Carrie Underwood, which is her Instagram relationship with her, where they like make fun of each other and like I don't know. It's but you know I like that because yeah. these these are guys in their twenties and that's what it should be. It's not like these old sort of boring cats that we got used to here, right? Um, it, it, it's a team that has personality now. I think which is more cool. Than anything yeah. else? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think you know Subban came at the perfect time just because. The franchise as a whole has gotten that, that sort of facelift we were talking about. The, the job Poyle has done in terms of making it like younger, more yeah. exciting, more offensively inclined, and and it, it all, those are all things that I think of when I think of PK Subban. So and with a, you know, and he's a guy who cares about things like this, and I don't have a problem with that. But Nashville as a city uh, is booming, and and a lot of big corporations are relocating here. I mean, Bridgestone is mm-hmm. obviously headquartered here. Uh, and he was in a Bridgestone commercial. There we go. That's brand synergy right there. Two or three weeks of coming here. So, uh, you know, and and a lot more of that is going to happen. 
as you know, Nashville is a relatively cheap place to operate versus maybe New York or LA. So, mm -hmm. uh, and we have people here that know how to market. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> you know. Well, I've uh, I've enjoyed the PK Subban experience, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Um, Jr., where can uh, where can people find you online? Well, you can find online? me at Jr. on Twitter. Of ah, that's easy enough. And uh, patch.com slash Tennessee slash Nashville, or just go to patch.com and find Nashville. That's where I am these days. Cool. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm -hmm.